get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carriker. It's great to have you with us for the next three hours. Later on in this hour, we're going to talk to local attorney Garrett Brocious. He is a big defender, former minor league baseball player and uh, an attorney that defends and uh, stands behind minor league baseball players. The other night, the A's announced they are going to pay their minor leaguers. So we're going to talk to Garrett about that. Also going to talk some hockey with Bernie Federico of Fox Sports Midwest, the Hall of Famer, and our Blues Insider from the athletic Jeremy Rutherford. Michelle, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well, Randy. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm uh, I'm ready for some sunshine. I'm ready to get outside and do some stuff. I, I figured with these hours that you and I uh, took over about a month ago, I figured, you know, after we're done at 10, get out of here by 10, 15, 10, 30, I'm going to be out doing stuff for the rest of the day. But this rain has really caused this schedule to not be as cool as I thought it was going to be. It's been such a bummer because every day I will look at the forecast and It'll say, okay, rain today, but next week it's going to be sunny all week. And then once we get to the next week, it's turned into thunderbolts and the forecast. But as of now, it seems like the sunshine is on the way, Randy. I'm liking it. It's a good <laughs> thing. Next week it'll be beautiful. You can always get in touch with us. You can use the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Use our Rhino Shield mic drop feature. Just download that free 101 ESPN app. And of course, Michelle, we're big social people, right? Of course. So you can always get in touch with Michelle at M. Smallman. On pretty much any platform, but you don't really look at Facebook, do you? No, I'm anti-Facebook. Good for you. But she's there on the Instagram and the Twitter. I'm at Randy Carricker on Twitter and RJ Carricker on Instagram. And I'll look at my Facebook now and then just to see if people are saying nice things, which they rarely do on that forum. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think that's the platform for nice comments. Randy, what's your platform of choice? Twitter. It is. Yeah. yeah. It's, I, my It fits my attention span. Because you can scroll quickly. Right. And I don't have to read much and I don't have to write much. So. 120 characters. Yeah. Is Keep it condensed. Yeah. Is it 120? I think so, right? I don't know. Yeah. I think it's 120 characters. Okay. Well, speaking of unhappy forums, the uh, negotiations between Major League <laughs> Baseball players and owners seems to be rather unhappy at the moment. Max, what a transition, Randy. <laughs> thanks. It's, that's a seg in the radio parlance. You're a pro. <laughs> Max Scherzer, the St. Louisan of the uh, Washington, the world champion Washington Nationals, who, by the way, is heading into the sixth year of a $210 million contract. So he's pretty well set financially. And he's also on the negotiating committee. We should also point out that he, his agent is Scott Boris, so he's always in contact with Scott Boris. And after 
Major League Baseball delivered what I think, and I believe you agree, is a ridiculous proposal Mm -hmm. a couple of days ago. Scherzer responded on Twitter, writing, After discussing the latest developments with the rest of the players, there's no reason to engage with MLB in any further compensation reductions. We have previously negotiated a pay cut in the version of prorated salaries, and there's no justification to accept a second pay cut based upon the current information the union has received. I'm glad to hear other players voicing the same viewpoint and believe MLB's economic strategy would completely change if all documentation were to become public information, which tells me clearly that ownership has not delivered to the Players Association the information about the fact that they aren't going to have fans in the stands this year. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, hearing Max Scherzer say these words obviously hits baseball fans in a tough way because they know, hey, if Max Scherzer's coming out and saying this, there's a big chance we may not be able to see both parties come to an agreement. and There's a big chance we may lose baseball for the 2020 season. But my emotions have have swung Randy on the pendulum with this every day and my allegiances have swung on the pendulum every day. At first when the owners came out and they said, okay, we're going to start start the conversation at a 50-50 revenue split. I thought, okay, that's reasonable. And as this went on, I noticed that it seemed like a lot of the information that was getting leaked out seemed to be coming from the owner's side. And then I thought, that is not a good strategy on the, half, um, the side of the owners if they want to paint the players out to be bad guys. Both both parties should be coming to the table with with genuine intentions saying, hey, this is a terrible situation. We understand your side. You understand our side. Let's, in good faith, negotiate this. But they didn't do that. They didn't do that. And for Max Scherzer to say, based upon the current information that the union has received, if, I, if I'm the owners, I'm going to say, here are the books. Yeah. Here is every piece of financial information that you need to prove that we are genuine in our proposal to you, that this is what we need to do financially for the viability of the league. Somebody needs to be a grown-up, whether it's Manfred and the owners or Tony Clark, who is in charge of the Players Association. Yes, the owner's offer was ridiculous, but a counter-proposal that would include only the prorated salaries and no reduction for having no fans in the stands, that's equally ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And Scherzer not only is voicing an opinion, and I'm sure it's an opinion that is pretty much driven by Scott Boris, but Scherzer, according to Jeff Passan of ESPN, holds some sway with the rest of the players. Max Scherzer is one of the best pitchers in baseball. He's a Hall of Famer. He's a Cy Young Award winner multiple times. This is a guy who has gravitas and is not just a great player, but is an incredibly intelligent person, too. And to have him coming out as strident as he was, as forceful as he was with this message, I think says a lot about the position of the players right now. They're mad. They're mad at the offer that Major League Baseball made, and they're not going to sit here and say, oh, we'll be conciliatory. We'll come and meet you in the middle. No, they want to go back to the player or to Major League Baseball and say, we're not going to accept this. They shouldn't accept that offer, but they should respond with something that appears to be reasonable. And to your point, Michelle, about opening up the books, 
Passon talks about what the MLB MLBPA is looking for. What they want to know is what the local and national television revenue looks like for Major League Baseball in 2020. They also want to know what sponsorship looks like, as well as what the projections are for each team in terms of losing money ostensibly by the end of the year. What they really want to know is how much revenue are we actually dealing with here and what is the reality of this before we can agree to anything. And look, Scott, the MLBPA is going to go back to Major League Baseball with a proposal of its own by the end of this week. Sources have told me it's going to be awfully interesting to see what's in their proposal and if it's as strident as Major League Baseball's was to the Players Association. I think that is so reasonable for the MLBPA to say, okay, you want us to take a second reduction in, in pay? Well, then show us why. Prove to us what you're actually going to generate this season with the TV deals, with sponsorships, and what you're actually going to lose without fans in the stands. That is not an outrageous ask. And if I'm the owners, I'm saying, okay, you know, let's let's just come to the table here. Here's our side. Here's what we're looking at financially. You're going to have to, to give a little, but this is the real life situation that we're dealing with, with the state of the country, with the state of Major League Baseball and how this is going to impact the sport moving forward without fans in the stands. And I know it's not hot take talk radio stuff because that generally doesn't include nuance, but this isn't pro player or pro owner. This is pro logic, Mm -hmm. right? This is just delivering the numbers that you have so that you can form what every other sports union and ownership has formed, which is a level of trust. There is no trust. If you're going to have a partnership, you have to have some trust. And if you're an ownership group, you have to be willing to share those numbers with the players. And if the play, if you're the players, you have to be willing to, at some level, accept that what the owners are telling you is true. Now, we talk about time. Passon talked about a deadline this week. Mark Adonacio is the chairman of the Brewers. Yesterday, he talked to the Greater Milwaukee Committee, and he said, it's got to come together very quickly or we won't be able to. We'll just run out of time. He said, to pay players at full contract rate, pretty much 90% of that would go to pay them and wouldn't cover any other costs. Well, again, if you want us to believe that, just show us, not Mm -hmm. us, the public, just show the players what those numbers are. If indeed it's going to cost, if we're in the situation, I think as broadcasters, where our management came to us and said, you know, paying you guys is going to take 90% of our revenue, and we wouldn't be able to take care of anybody else. We wouldn't be able to take care of behind-the-scenes people, and we can't do this. And they showed us the numbers. I'd say, well, okay, I, I'm on board. I'll yeah. buy in. If you see those numbers and they're true, why wouldn't you buy in? And this is what I find to be very interesting about the owner's approach here. They're businessmen. They under they understand probably more than anybody, that if you come to a negotiations table and you ask someone to take a second pay cut on an already agreed upon contract, that they are going to press and say, oh, I'm not going to agree to that unless you give me reasons why. I, it's just amazing to me that the owners would think in any way, in any, in any business setting, that the opposition on the other side would not ask questions and would not be offended by the implication that they would just be so naive to sign off on that. Somebody is obviously going to have to back down on this, whether it's the players or the owners. I'll be interested to see if they can reach a happy medium here. I I get the sense right now that both teams really 
that both teams, both sides, mm-hmm. want to win this. It's not about getting baseball on the field. It's about getting a win before we go into CBA negotiations next year. But they're both losing right now because the way that this has played out in front of the public is really gross, and it's yep. turning a lot of people off. And every day we're hearing the NBA is taking a step forward and returning. The NHL is taking a step forward and returning. Baseball squabbling over money. That's all. Whether the owners wanted to take the star players and paint them out to be the villains and the bad guys because they wanted to say, hey, we're losing all this money and look at these star players like Mike Trout. You know, he's he's already making millions of dollars. And and based on our financial situations, this is what we need from him. That's a bad strategy, because at the end of the day, when all this is said and done, if the clock runs out and baseball doesn't come to an agreement and baseball doesn't happen this season, when we look back on this, we're not going to point to the Mike Trouts. We're not going to point to the Max Scherzers. We're going to point to baseball as a whole, right. which includes both parties. Both parties are under that umbrella. And it would be devastating for the sport. Devastating. Meanwhile, a couple of other notes from other sports. Pierre Lebrun tweeting that the NHL Players Association has had individual calls with player reps for the last two or three days, going over a decision to go with either a best of five or a best of seven for the first two rounds of the actual playoffs. The play-in round will be best of five. Uh, they hope for a decision by the end of the week. I would certainly hope that they would go best of seven. I think that you can win a best of five in a fluke. Mm -hmm. I don't think that you can win a best of seven in a fluke. And don't you think most players would want a best of seven knowing, you know, what they know about the Stanley Cup playoffs? Right. And it's what an extra. If you go all seven, it's an extra four days. So in those two rounds, if you get an extra week, that's not a big deal to me. Exactly. Same. And in the NBA, the NBA and the NBA Players Association are progressing on a plan that would allow for a limited number of family members to join players for the season's resumption inside an Orlando, Florida bubble environment. And Sarah Spain tweeting (laughs) yesterday, prayers up for the side pieces who don't know it yet, but are about to find out. (laughs) Yes, I saw another tweet. I forget who it was, but it was so funny. It was like, there's going to be a lot of conversations happening. Like, baby, I, I just want to protect you and your health. I don't think it's safe for you to come here. You, I just need you to stay home right now while I go off and take care of business. One time, uh, a, a visiting player coming in asked DeMarco to get him an extra pair of tickets to a Rams game. And so DeMarco took care of him. And he had already gotten a pair of tickets for his wife. This pair of tickets was for his girlfriend. And the tickets that DeMarco got him were two rows behind the family tickets. DeMarco said, yeah, well, the family section, he figured it was for the wife. So the girlfriend was two rows behind the wife. And while they're playing, this guy's saying, what the hell are you doing? They aren't (laughs) supposed to be that close together. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, then the highlight packages are running on Sports Center. It's like this player had a terrible game. Seem really distracted. It's a beautiful thing in sports. Uh, it's not a beautiful thing for the families or the second families or the side pieces, but it's entertaining for us. Yeah, you know, a lot of the side pieces are aware that the side pieces. Oh, you better be. So sorry, I, mean, I don't have sympathy for you. That's why you're in the side piece game, right? You know that. <laughs> yeah, don't hit the player, hit the game. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, tonight here on 101 ESPN, our uh, Play Gloria series continues with the uh, the urinal game. It's for a lack of a better term. We're going to review that and look back a year with Carl Gunnarsson's goal, plus a little bit on the latest with Alex Petrangelo, perhaps re-signing with the Blues. That's next on 101 ESPN. There's Sundquist. He launched it wide. The late penalty against Boston. Gunnarsson to O'Reilly. To Gunnarsson. He scores! 
<laughs> Chris Kerber. And by the way, happy birthday, Kerbs. Today is a birthday for Chris Kerber and Joey Vitale. And that was last year. And we'll hear that game tonight here on 101 ESPN. Game two of last year's Stanley Cup Finals, which the ending for game two was... Probably the most memorable ending. Well, certainly the most memorable ending of any game in the finals, except for game seven when you came up with the victory. But drama, it had it all. And the reason that it happened, Michelle, (laughs) is the best part. The best. It's. First of all, I'm just, I can't stop laughing. I love that call from Curbs and Joey so much. They had so many great calls down the stretch that we'll always remember. We'll always remember the, the, the native St. Louis and it's mm-hmm. Pat Maroon. We'll always remember the wait is over. But I think Boom Boom Gunnerson is the one that makes us smile and laugh the most because it was so outrageous and it was so funny the way that it all went down. Now, when we say Gunnerson's name, we call him Boom Boom Gunnerson because of that call. And it, it's pretty incredible. Because he had a great chance at the end of the third period. Couldn't bury it. And then after he scores the overtime goal, and this is from Blue Note Productions, they're in the locker room, and Craig Berube is talking to his team. Great job, boys. That's the f***ing more of that f***ing team coming down tonight with our game. That was our game for 60 minutes plus, obviously. That's how we got to play. Great f***ing job. Day off tomorrow when we get there, we'll, we'll give you times for uh, the next day to come into practice. We'll get home and enjoy the families for the day. Got a quick story here. After the f***ing uh, regulation, I'm in there taking a piss after me. You guys were uh, talking to you. You guys are going there and take a leak. Gunny comes up, sitting beside me having a leak. All I need is one more chance. <laughs> That is the most hockey hockey story of all time. Gunny slides up to me, he, taking a leak, and he says, I just need one more chance. Unbelievable. And then he gets it. And, and that's, he gets that's it. the amazing thing. In overtime, he takes a shot and scores the game winner. Phenomenal. And, you know, of all people to call their shot to, oh, you yeah. don't think it's going to be Carl Gunnarsson. But that, that just it's one of the many, many storylines that we look back on on that Blue Stanley Cup run where we just say we cannot believe that that happened. If that was one isolated instance, it would be a story that lives on forever, which it will anyway. Mm-hmm. But it would it's one of many chapters that we look back on, whether it's Ryan O'Reilly or Jordan Bennington or Gloria. I mean, we could go on and on and on about all of the different things that happened where you're like, what? So much of the Blues run to that Stanley Cup championship was so unbelievable that that's, I think, why a lot of people still don't believe that it happened. And it was so happy. It was so happy. One of the things that's cool about the Stanley Cup Finals is that it really is the one time of year that ESPN television covers the (laughs) hockey in depth. And so they've got Melrose and Steve Levy on site on SportsCenter, and Baruby joins those two after the game. Greg Wyshynski tweeted that you actually had a conversation with Gunnarsson after regulation. Might have been in the washroom, might have been someplace else. Tell us about that conversation because he he hits the post with two minutes left in the third. Yeah, it was, you know, we're in the restroom and uh, (laughs) Gunny came in and we were talking a little bit. I said, well, keep shooting, Gunny, you know, you know, hit the post there real good because all I need is one more chance. (laughs) And uh, that was true. He made a great shot there in overtime and and, I was really happy for him. He had a great game tonight, so it was uh, fortunate for him that and us that he, he, he scored. First off, I can't believe you don't have your own bathroom, <laughs> but we'll talk about that another time. You uh, talked to about that. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Gunnarsson was asked about the story that 
Ruby had just told. Carl, in the words of Oscar Sundquist, your conversation with Craig happened, quote, at the pisser. Could you just kind of <laughs> clarify for us before this goes into Stanley Cup lore of where and kind of paint the picture for us? Yeah, uh, yeah. I can't. I can't deny that. That's that's where uh, <laughs> that's where it happened. <laughs> uh, so that makes it even more fun, I guess. Uh, it's a good story. It's a great story. One year ago tomorrow, and we'll air the game tonight here on 101 ESPN. Game two of the Stanley Cup Finals as the Blues beat Boston in OT. I just can't imagine two guys in such an intense moment casually going to the bathroom, just chopping it up while they're going to the bathroom. That's a great thing about Bruby. He was never affected, and I think it translated to the team, by the stress of the situation. He was always the same. And that's that's the way Whitey was. Tony got more intense, but he was always really intense. But most teams reflect their coach in those sorts of situations. I always tell the story, and it's one of my favorites. One of the reasons the Cardinals won in 1982 is because after game one, they get shut out by a guy named Mike Caldwell of the Brewers. Ten to nothing. They lose game one here in St. Louis. And I was working for Costello at the time, and one of my jobs was to just check the media as they were going into the media room. And so I check them, and the press conference starts. Whitey walks up to the podium, sits down, and says... Man, glad that wasn't a blank and double header. <laughs> <laughs> Game one of the World Series, he just lost 10 to nothing. <laughs> God bless Whitey. That's amazing. Fantastic. Now, to more serious. Well, you, how can you get more serious than the Stanley Cup Finals? But getting into the business side of things, Michelle, Bill Daly was on with Rivers and uh, Rivers and BK yesterday here on 101 ESPN. He's the deputy commissioner of the NHL and said that they really have no idea what the cap is going to look like for 2020-2021. Here you have the Blues captain and a guy who has been a Stanley Cup champion. He'll be a top five Norris guy again this year, and he's heading into free agency. The Blues at the moment, uh, according to Cap Friendly, based on this year's cap, next year would have $4.5 million left in cap space. And if they would buy out Alexander Steen, they could get that up to $8.3 million. And they still have to sign Vince Dunn in restricted free agency. And then next year, unrestricted free agents, if you would keep Steen, he would be one, plus Schwartz, Bozak, Jordan Bennington and Jake Allen. Those are all UFAs next year. So the Blues really have to thread a needle in regards to trying to bring Alex Petrangelo back. I wonder how there's there's so many different tentacles to this and so many different ways that you could look at this. And it all depends on what the Blues want and what Alex Petrangelo wants. I tend to look at the situation from a player side or what I think a player would be thinking, because when you, when what, you look at what's happening right now, Petrangelo could look at this one of two ways. He could say, look at the uncertainty in sports right now. I'm going to cash in on the biggest possible payday Mm -hmm. I can get. Show me the money. Show me the money. This is going to be my last big deal for me to make sure that I get every possible dollar that I can get to support my family. Or you say, hey, look at what's happening in in the world of sports right now. I might not have that much more of a chance to win. You know, I I just don't know what's more important to him. He's already won the Stanley Cup. He's the first player in Blues franchise history to hoist the Stanley Cup. That means something. But we know Doug Armstrong. We know the Blues organization. They're not going to make a bad deal because of nostalgic feelings, because of personal and emotional feelings. But I just, I don't know what matters more to Petro. If he's willing to take a, quote, reduction or more of a team-friendly deal because he wants to stay in a comfortable and secure environment, or does he just want the money? And I think that if he does want to stay, the Blues could come up with some a way to make that happen, but I, I don't know. I tend to, to look at 
if I'm a player, I'm looking at the, quote, mortality of my career and saying, mm-hmm. I don't know what's going to happen moving forward. I don't know what this is going to look like if there's a second wave. And my chance to win is very short. And I want to play for a guy like Tom Stillman. I want to play for a guy like Craig Berube. I'm the captain and the leader on this team. I, I want to control that environment. So I don't really know. It depends on what he wants. Well, Petro is a smart, thoughtful guy. And all of those things that you just brought up are uh, certainly things that he is thinking about. But his agency is essentially the Scott Boris Corporation of Hockey. So if he's one of those guys that says, I'm just going to let them handle it, Mm -hmm. he might have no idea where he's going to go or how much he's going to do. If he lets them handle it, they like to take him into free agency, and there's a very good chance that he could wind up elsewhere. If he's a guy that's going to take charge of his destiny and does feel... thing that really gets lost in this, you know, I tell people all the time that, well, these players should be paid uh, right now for, the, for, for what they're doing. They say, well, what are they doing? There's not a minor league season. And what's lost in it is these guys are working. You know, even the Oakland A's, after they sent that email, they told them that the contract remains in place and they're still expecting them to do work. So these guys are probably training 15, 20 hours a week or even more on behalf of the Oakland A's, they just aren't getting paid for that. And that's really, here's another term for you, unconscionability. That's a legal term. But, you know, this is an unconscionable situation because the A's are telling them in that email that they remain under under the restraints of this contract, but the player, so meaning that the player can't go out and use his his abilities and his skills that he's worked so hard to develop and get paid in some some other way, assuming that there would be baseball somewhere where where uh, where a player could be paid for his services, and he still has to continue training, but he's not being paid for that work, and it's just a really un-American result. Garen, it sounds like the contracts in and of themselves are so one-sided that it kind of starts there. Players don't have much choice when they are when they enter pro baseball to sign these contracts, but the contracts are completely one-sided. Yeah, and the cause of that is, the root cause of it is the fact that they don't have a union, they don't have representation at all. Uh, The Major League Baseball Players Association doesn't represent the minor league players, and so in many ways, this contract is very much uh, something that's out of the 1920s. It's not something that you see in modern labor. It has changed very little over the past of the past hundred years. Um, it requires them to perform services throughout the year, but it says that they're only paid during the season then. Uh, you know, what other industry is going to think about requiring employees to perform work throughout the year, but only pay them for a few months out of the year? It doesn't really make sense. But, you know, and so the lack of re- representation is the big issue here, and that's what really needs to change. If an A's player would come to Garrett Brocious and say, Garrett, I want to get out of this contract. They aren't paying me. I wanted to get out of this contract and become a baseball free agent. What would the possibility of getting out of it be and what would the ramifications be, do you think? Well, I I think there are arguments that could certainly be made. Um, The tough thing, though, is it would take a Kurt Flood to do it. You know, there is some real fear here that there would be backlash if a player came forward and, and wanted to do something like that. Now, that being said, these A's players are rightfully very mad. They're also very scared right now, not knowing how they're going to pay their bills. Uh, some of them are already a, a, applying for unemployment benefits. Um, and so, you know, that's, 
and that's that's what is really a shame here is that these billionaire owners of the Oakland A's who are retaining these players as employees are now throwing them onto our a system where the taxpayers have to take care of them. And that's really a shame. Garrett, we certainly wanted to talk to you about the seemingly messy and very public negotiations going on right now in Major League Baseball between the owners and the Players Association. And before we get to the latest developments and what's happening right now, I wanted to rewind a little bit and talk to you about the first presentation that the owners gave to the Players Association about the 50-50 split of league revenues for 2020. That was a non-starter for the Players Association. But what did you think about that first initial offer that the owners presented? Yeah, so for a lot of players, they, they found it as being very insulting. For a, for a lot of players uh, that I've talked to, they felt like they had already agreed to take a pay cut. They'd already agreed to have prorated salaries where they're paid basically in accordance with how many games are played. And they thought that was a really fair deal, and they thought it was a major concession, but they also thought it was a, a concession that made sense. And so then for the owners to come back with this alternative proposal where it's basically tied to the amount of revenue that's, that's brought in, um, in their mind, that's close to revenue sharing. And the, the Major League Baseball Players Association has always been 100% against revenue sharing. And so for most players, that was a non-starter. And it just didn't move the ball at all. In fact, it moved it backwards. Garrett, we've seen players come out and and bash the proposals that the owners have put forth. And most recently, Max Scherzer put out a, pr- a pretty poignant statement last night. And one of the things that he said that was based on the current information the union has received, there's no justification to accept a second pay cut. A- as you're very familiar with the inner workings of how things like this will go down, do you think that both sides are not going to be able to come to an agreement unless the owners are very transparent with their financials and say, hey, this is exactly what we're going to get with with advertising. This is what we're going to get with TV revenue. This is the exact number that we're working with. Yeah, this public fight does not look good right now. Um, things are not trending in a good direction. But, you know, I have a lot of respect for my old college teammate, Max Scherzer. He came out there on Haymakers last night. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and, and I think really the, the, the important thing to remember here is everybody thinks this is about millionaires versus billionaires and they're upset about it. But, you know, Max Scherzer and those other guys, they're the ones that have to worry about their health and their family's health while they do all this. And so they are quite concerned about going out and playing these games, um, even without fans. And then they're being asked to pay, take an even larger pay cut than they thought they thought they would have to take in order to do it. And so they're really reluctant. And Max makes a really important point. You know, there's a lot, there's transparency in what the major league players are making. Everybody knows what Adam Wainwright's making, going to make this year. Everybody knows uh, what Max Scherzer is going to make this year. But there's zero transparency on behalf of the major league owners. And so they put out these statements saying that they're going to lose X amount of dollars this year, but there's no way to actually check that. And they just ask the public to believe them and take them for their word. And Max said, based on what he's, he's seen, there's no reason to believe them. He thinks that they are deceiving the public. And a lot of journalists have looked into this, taken a close look, and I think there's reason to to doubt them as well. It'll be interesting to see if and when they're able to reach an agreement, as you know, with the baseball establishment. They wait until the very last minute. I'll be interested to see how this all plays out in the next week or so. 
Well, yeah, that's and that's that's true too. Things can move really quickly. A lot of times, when deals get done, it's because behind the scenes, whenever there are being being public statements being made, uh, folks are getting together sometimes and coming to coming to a deal. And and hopefully that's true here. You know, I like everybody would love to turn on the TV and watch watch a baseball game come July fifteenth. Um, I think that we, we all miss that and we all need that, especially as much time as I'm spending in my house right now. <laughs> um, so hopefully that can still get done. And, I, and I'm, you know, I'm optimistic. I think it still can get done. But right now, it surely isn't trending very well. Eric Brocious, always good to hear your voice. And thanks for what you do on behalf of minor league players. It really is remarkable. People can follow Garrett on Twitter at Garrett Brocious. Uh, keep up the great fight, sir. Yeah, thank you. And, and one more thing real quick. The Cardinals are one of the teams that have not announced what they're going to do yet with their minor league players. So that's going to happen in the next day or two, and hopefully we'll get good news from them. And by the way, that's uh, that total cost is, for most teams, a million dollars or less, right? Correct. To, to extend the current payments they're making for the next three months, it would cost the Cardinals about a million dollars. So, you know, hopefully they do the right thing and take care of these players because, uh, you know, it's, it's a lifeline that they really need. All right. Thank you, Garrett. Appreciate it. Take care. Yeah, all right. That is our friend Garrett Brocious, St. Louis attorney here on 101 ESPN. Yeah, it cost the A's $750,000 to pay their players for the rest of the season. Cardinals gave Ty Wigginton $5.5 million to not play for them. Yeah. And so when you can pay your players, and uh, uh, who am I to tell Bill DeWitt how to spend his money? Why? But, we do it all the time. <laughs> yeah. But a, a million, <laughs> in the big picture, when you have a payroll of $169 million at the major league level, $170 million, and you can improve people's lives at the cost of your own employees' lives at the cost of a million dollars for three months in the in the midst of a pandemic. And the Cardinals, have, by the way, have been fantastic yes. with their employees and their minor leaguers. And Adam Wainwright contributed a lot to that. But I would hope that the Cardinals would continue that. These guys are making, when they're playing, they're making $400 a week, the minor league players. Yeah, we, we talk about the fight that's going on right now with Major League Baseball players, and we're talking about, oh, you're going to still be making millions of dollars even if you did take a second pay cut. This is a completely different situation. These are guys that actually are worried about making their, their payments, and these are guys that depend on this money, and it is really important that they get it done. And I can't, I shouldn't say I can't imagine because this is professional sports, but I would I would hope that the Cardinals for a million dollars would yeah. recognize that they could really improve the situation of a lot of people that are depending on this money. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And coming up, by the way, we got a text. Uh, is there anything positive to talk about? Any more bad news, Randy? So I have guaranteed sunshine lollipops for the rest of this show. We aren't going negative. It's going to be a uh, terrific Thursday. We're going to be optimistic and happy for the rest of the show. Character and Smallman, you're home for positive programming. That's it. It's coming up on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Take it. Or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. All right, time for a fun and happy Take It or Leave It here on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Michelle, Randy, and with your Take It or Leave It to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780, here's Colin Surrey. Colin, take it away. All right, you guys. Director Christopher Nolan told a magazine in England that instead of using CGI, he blew up a real 747 airplane for a stunt in his upcoming movie, Tenet. He said it was more efficient to use a real airplane. Knowing the film crew's lives were in real danger, making a movie makes you more likely 
likely to see the movie, take it or leave it? I'm going to take it. This is epic. This is awesome. I've seen a lot of te- uh, planes blown up in movies, most notably in Air Force One when the president's Air Force One crashes into the ocean. And I didn't realize they weren't really running a 747 into the ocean in that movie. But now knowing that somebody's actually doing it, yeah, I'm going to, if the movie comes out, I'm going to find a way to watch it. I'm going to leave it. I wasn't going to see it before, and I'm certainly not going to see it now. Come on, it's a 747, a real 747 getting blown up. Yeah, not interested. Darn. I know, but I will say this, though. I think it's, imagine the stressors in that moment going to shoot that scene, knowing that you cannot mess it up. No doubt about it. You better have your camera on. You bet. Yeah, you better have. <laughs> I mean, I just imagine the the planning that went into actually executing that, knowing, hey, we have an actual airplane that we're going to blow up here. We need to make sure everything is set up correctly, that everyone is going to be okay in the surrounding vicinity. I mean, that had to take a lot of time and effort to plan. But I'm still not probably not going to see the movie. By the way, apparently there are a lot of spare 747s running around right now. You can just pick one up for pennies on the dollar. Yes, but they messed it up. They could reshoot it. <laughs> Make sure you get your Teolis into the Hot Shots, or excuse me, Hot Shots, Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Excuse me. This one, it was reported yesterday that the NFL will not be voting on a rule that would add Sky Judge to officiating crews around the NFL, even though we saw this work so well with in the XFL. Yet again, the NFL has dropped the ball on a no-brainer. Take it or leave it. I'm going to take it. I think the Sky Judge is a no-brainer. Having the eye in the sky, being able to, to look things over, seems like a no-brainer to me. But, of course, the NFL wouldn't do that. Then They want to make it as, as muddy and confusing as possible. Yeah, I'm going to leave it simply looking at it from the NFL's perspective because they don't want their officials and their officiating to be correct. Right. They want controversy. They want bad things to happen on the football field. So... Even if they had a Sky Judge, it wouldn't be like anybody would listen to it anyway. So why spend the money? It's amazing to me that we, this is the most popular league in American sports. And we don't even know what a catch is. No. That, that, uh, up until, I mean, in, in a crucial postseason moment, you cannot know what a catch is. Well, the officials don't know what pass interference is. Right. Come on, just look at the rule book sometime. <laughs> With all this talk about the NBA heading to Disney, it raises this question. Vacationing to Disney as an adult without kids is the worst vacation idea ever. Take it or leave it. Yeah, with all due respect to our friend Brandon Kylie, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to take this. Randy, this is one of my strongest stances. It's one of my hottest takes. I cannot understand why an adult would want to go to Disney ever without a child present. I, I cannot understand the adult Disney love. I just, I think Disney, I love the movies. I think it's amazing. I had to go to Disney as an adult to run a half marathon. Mm-hmm. And it was an alarming experience. It is in Orlando, which is meh anyway. It is so hot. It is so expensive. There's lines everywhere. It's just and, and for what? For for you to, you know, ride a ride for 90 seconds, for you to be around kids screaming because they want a stuffed animal. I just, to me, as an adult, a vacation is relaxing. I'm having a cocktail on the beach. I'm maybe reading a book. I am chilling out. There is no part of me that wants to stand in line with screaming kids to ride a ride for two minutes. Not enjoyable at all. There is the most salient point that could be made. Why would you take a week off, fly to a place where it is hot and you're standing on pavement so that you can stand in line for 45 minutes for a 90 second ride. Now, if I'm going to take a vacation, I'm going one spectrum or the other. Uh, B 
beach in Jupiter or Singer Island, mm -hmm. Florida is great. Or New York City. And, and you give me three or four days in New York City with the high energy and walking up and down, I have no problem with that. But this is only my perspective here. And obviously you agree with it. I don't like rides that much or plays at Disneyland or Disney World that much that I would ever want to go without kids. No. And I don't have kids anymore, so I'm not going anymore. My Disney experience was so unenjoyable that I said to my friend Elizabeth, who was there with me, I said, if I ever have kids and they want to come to Disney, they get one Disney bullet their entire lives. Because when you're on the trams going there, the excitement that the kids feel, it was so special to see the kids be so excited and say, oh my gosh, it's Mickey or this or that. By the time we left, because we only walked around the park for like two hours, by the time we left, it that stretch through Magic Kingdom was full meltdown apocalypse station. Kids flinging themselves on the ground screaming, parents yelling at each other, being like, just get her the ice cream, get her the ice cream. And you're like, this is terrible. This does not seem relaxing at all. So I said, if I ever have kids, we will go one time. They have to be old enough to remember it and enjoy it, and that's it. Disclaimer, uh, 101 ESPN is an affiliate of ESPN, <laughs> subsidiary of the Disney Corporation. So if you want to go to Disney, Go ahead. But if you have kids, I'm sure it's a great time. I just don't understand as an adult. Because our lives are stressful enough anyway. Right. That, to me, seems like a stressful environment. I don't want to leave one stressful environment to therefore go to another stressful environment that I'm paying a lot of money for on vacation. This one from the 309 on the Air Comfort Service text line. Take it or leave it. The owners don't want to play baseball in 2020. I'm going to leave it. They want to play under their terms. That's the key. Yeah, I'm going to leave it. They they want the TV revenue. They want the advertising. They they want to make some money as opposed to no money. But yes, they want to do it in a comfortable situation for them. And they aren't stupid. They know that they hold the hammer. They know that the average baseball career is three, four years. And they know that they're going to own the team for 10, 12, 15 years or more. Their family is going to own it. So... Ultimately, they're still going to own baseball teams with baseball players playing. Whether it's this group or another group, they're going to own teams with players playing. Take it or leave it. Waffles are better than pancakes and French toast because they don't get overly soggy as easily. Ooh. That's not my reasoning. I'm going to take it that waffles are better than pancakes or French toast, but the, it's not the initial it's not the ultimate texture. It's the initial texture. I like the perfect crispness of a waffle. And I'm a pancake fan. I love pancakes. But I make chocolate chip waffles or I made red velvet waffles at home. Yeah. It's For me, it's the initial texture of a waffle. This is the toughest thing we're going to talk about all day. Yeah. Because if we're going power rankings and we're going pancakes, waffles, French toast, that might be seed them in. I think French toast, while great, is kind of out, right? Yeah. It's really going to be down it to is. waffles or pancakes if we're talking number one overall draft pick. And while I love waffles and I understand what you're presenting to us, Colin, about the soggy factor, you have to think about the, the syrup you know, uh, gathering in the little waffle pockets. That Love can it. also be too syrupy. It can be too aggressive there. You can't get too syrupy, Michelle. You can't get too syrupy. No. Oh, see, and I'm a moderate when it comes to syrup. I love yeah. syrup. And here's the other thing. With waffles, you get cherry pie filling and fit them into the little squares. Cherry pie filling on a waffle is mm, delicious. So you're going waffles based on structure because you can essentially pack yeah. things into right. it. Right. Structure and texture, yes. Okay, structure. <laughs> so, well, I'm going pancakes. Um... 
with moderate syrup because then it doesn't get too soggy. And if we're being honest, you're going to eat them fast enough to where that shouldn't be an issue. One other quick point here. Uh, I'm sure that you've been to a corner bakery somewhere in the country, right? Yes. Corner bakery is great. And they used to have this baked French toast on their menu. And they... The, the Corner Bakery discontinued it, but they gave the recipe to the Chicago Tribune. You can Google it. I make baked French toast, and it's delicious. Now, I only make it a couple times a year because of what we're talking about, mm-hmm. but it's still really good. Sounds amazing. I also love pancakes, how you can cut it in a triangle. It's a very satisfying it is. like bite to cut it in a triangle and pop That's it in. A great point. Talking serious stuff here on Character and Smallman <laughs> on 101 ESPN. Our fresh take of the day coming up with Carriker and Smallman. That was the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.